Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. In the next hour, Dr. Pat showcases some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Get ready to live life full out. Here's your host, Dr. Pat Basile. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for joining the show today. Now, you've heard me talk about One the Movie. As a matter of fact, I dedicated uh, a show to, a couple of weeks ago to the movie featuring several of the voices. And I am honored to have with me today on the show Dr. Rianne Eisler. And for those of you that have seen the movie, you, of course, uh, remember her uh, participation in it. But I want to say that she is best known for an unbelievable international bestseller, a book that I have read several times, The Chalice and the Blade, Our History, Our Future. This book, by the way, is, uh, it's, it stands, uh, it's based on her research of uh, spanning 30,000 years, and it is in at least 22 languages. I'm sure it's in more languages than that. We'll find out from Dr. Eisler herself. But there are some other books I want to point out to you, and we're going to touch on some of these today. Uh, she's also the author of The Power of Partnership and uh, another book which is called Sacred Pleasure. And so for those of you that have read The Chalice and the Blade, I'm sure you're going to have many, many questions. And what I would like to do is let you know that if you have questions as a result of this interview, you can send them directly to me at live at the drpatshow.com and I will pass them on. Dr. Eisler, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, you know, there's so many things I'd love to talk with you about, but let me start the show by asking you a question that I've asked everyone that I've ever talked with on radio. And it goes like this. It's a question that actually came from one of my listeners because they always say that I sound so so cheerful, so upbeat. And it's this. So here you are, best-selling book featured in this movie. And the question is this. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the obstacles that you personally have had to overcome to bring you to this very moment? I've had a lot of obstacles to overcome. Um, and one of the lessons from my life has been something that I write about again and again, that in order to live a good life, to have a good life for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren, for generations to come, we can't just pay attention to ourselves, we really have to also pay attention to changing destructive patterns in our cultural environment. Because, well, the first obstacle was that I was almost killed when I was a little girl. Mm. I was born mm. in, in Vienna, in Austria, uh, during a time that in terms of the conceptual framework I've introduced of the partnership model and the domination model as two underlying possibilities for organizing, well, beliefs, institutions, relationships, it was a time of massive regression to the domination model. It was the rise to power of the Nazis, first in Germany and then in my native Austria. And I uh, was a little girl when the Gestapo came to our home on, well, it was crystal night, so-called because of all the glass that was shattered in Jewish homes and synagogues and shops. And they came to drag my father away. And I saw that. I saw them dragging him off, pushing him down the stairs. But I also saw something else, something that I today call spiritual courage. Mm. I saw my mother, uh, my gentle mother, 
standing up to these men. She recognized one of the men as somebody who had once worked for the family business, and she got furious. She said, how dare you come here like this to do this to this man who was so good to you? I want him back. And she could have been killed, but by a miracle, she was able to, well, to get my father back. Uh, it took some bribery in the bargain, uh, but she did get him back, and by another miracle, we were able to escape. So first obstacle was being alive, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's right. And, of course, there were many other obstacles in my life, and I don't want to take all the time we have on that, but growing up in Cuba, because we were able to flee, we were actually on one of the last ships before one that was turned down, a ship of Jewish refugees uh, called, on a ship called the St. Louis, which it was not admitted to either the either Cuba, where they had purchased visas, as we had, or to the United States or to any other nation in the uh, Western Hemisphere. And they had to go back, and, of course, many of them were killed uh, in Nazi concentration, Mm -hmm. as happened to most of my relatives. So second obstacle was, uh, you know, the miracle of being able to get there on a ship just before that. But growing up in Cuba in poverty, because Mm. Nazis confiscated everything, you know, that's a an official term for armed robbery, of course. Yes, exactly. Uh, So the obstacle really was, to a large extent, you know, having no resources. But I was very fortunate because my parents scrimped and saved and and, and were able to start a business, and they did send me to the best schools. And that was very important. And I'll add one more obstacle, which I really didn't recognize until much, much later in my life, until actually the 1960s when, like many of us, I woke up to this whole issue of gender. And I realized something extraordinary, that as much as having been born Jewish had really, uh, well, had profoundly affected my life, having been born female Mm -hmm. had even affected it more because it had so constricted what was considered possible and appropriate and normal for me as a girl and a woman. And really embarking on the kind of work that I have embarked on, uh, well, you know, uh, most of the, you know, the image that comes to people's minds about people who look at our past, our present, the possibilities uh-huh. for our future is this bearded male, right? Yes. And I'm not. <laughs> so there was a huge obstacle both inside of me and also in in the cultural environment. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that. And uh, you know, there are several pieces of that that I would love to get back to, especially this idea of spiritual cover, uh, courage. Um, you know, the idea of gender is uh, the, the the conversation rather around gender is a conversation that I've, I'm like you. I've experienced going through the '60s and knowing what that's like. Let me ask you this question about gender: If the 60s could be looked at as the era of awakening regarding gender, gender identity. How would you categorize the time that we live in right now? I categorize it as a time of regression to the domination model Mm -hmm. in all of its aspects, economically, in terms of the push 
to get women back to a, quote, traditional family. You know, it's a code word, isn't it, for a dominated family, a very punitive family, where kids learn early on that it's very painful not to not to just obey orders unquestionably, right? Yes. Uh, that's part of the regression. The growing gap between haves and have-nots is part of the regression. Uh, yes, the increasing reliance worldwide on violence. Uh, and I shouldn't say increasing because that's a constant in dominator history. Okay. 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 The use of violence, be it in violence against women and children or sometimes men, in families or be it in the family of nations. Let me ask you this question because, uh, you know, let's talk about the, you know, bringing women back to their traditional place. So the question is this. Now, there's this new conversation about family values. Is that a similar conversation with perhaps a different paint job, so to speak? Or is the conversation on family values different for women? The conversation about family values is very similar to the conversation of just about every regressive uh, regime. Uh, when the Nazis came to power, it was let's get women back into their traditional place in the traditional family, you know, family right. values, right? Uh, Stalin uh, reversed a lot of the laws that while they weren't enforced, at least they were there to more make the situation, particularly in the family, more equal for women. I don't have to tell you about the Taliban or Khomeini's Iran. Right. It's always the same thing. Why? Because these intimate relations, the relations between, yes, the two halves of humanity, women and men, and between them and their daughters and sons, the relations without which none of us would be here, relations where people first learn what is considered normal and even moral, these relationships are foundational to either a partnership way of life or a dominator way of life. So we've got to pay more attention to this question of, quote, family values, and I'm so glad you asked this because I've been working with a group of people in what I call a caring family agenda, Mm -hmm. a political agenda in which we really pay attention, well, first of all, to children, uh, to being sure that children have really that their right to food, to shelter, to nutrition, yes, and freedom from violence, including violence in their own families, which is part of the domination model, that that's protected. But it goes all the way down to uh, what kind of economic policies do we have? Do we support child care, high-quality human High-quality child care is essential for the development of that, quote, high-quality human capital we hear so much about for the post-industrial age. So I'm working on uh, an agenda that would push paid parental leave, uh, that would really incorporate in the United States uh, the policies that are now becoming commonplace in other so-called developed nations in most of the industrialized world who are investing in their people, uh, and we're going to pay very dearly. Well, it's we interesting. Don't. It's interesting you talked about spiritual coverage, uh, courage. Uh, one of the things that I'm struck by is the strike that occurred in New York uh, over the holidays. And um, a lot of the publicity about the strike had to do with the union and, and how horrible they were and how, you know, they Ill, illegal strike. And... I stopped for a moment to pay attention to to this for two reasons. One, I was 
back home in New York, and I wanted to go into the city, and I couldn't. And so I was paying attention. But the the president of the union said something very important, and here's what he said. He said, can you believe in our country that in New York, New York City, one of the top cities in the country, that we are on strike and we are fighting so that women can have paid parental, can have, you know, coverage so that they can have their children. That's right. I mean, it's, it's really pathetic that the richest, you know, in terms of GDP nation in the world should rank 28th uh, in the world in terms of child mortality, and it's, it's connected uh, with the failure uh, to really give visibility and value to the most essential human work, the work of caring and caregiving, which, of course, is stereotypically in the domination model only associated with women. In other words, you were talking about gender. gender. The old dominator gender stereotype is that real men don't do this. Mm. So mm. the good news is that we're beginning to see a much more, well, a shift towards much more fluid gender roles. Men can be fabulous caregivers. You see it in some of the fathers today, you know, who really nurture their babies. Absolutely. So, so this is not biological. This is cultural. And this is why my work focuses so much on really going underneath the surface to look at what are the traditions of domination that we've inherited and unconsciously carry and that are still perpetuated by economic rules of the game, by normative ideals of family, you know, like the so-called family values agenda. Uh, We've got to understand what's really happening, and then we can take appropriate action. Wow. Well, that's what the power of partnership and so much of my work is about. Yes, and we are, what we'll do is we're going to talk about the power of partnership. And here's a burning question. Here's something that I'd like to leave you with before we go and take a short break. I learned very recently through Dr. Eisler's work that the opposite of matriarchy is not patriarchy. And when we come back, Dr. Eisler will talk to this this question, this issue, and explain why they are not the opposite of each other. You're listening to The Dr. Pat Show. I'm here with uh, best-selling author Dr. Rianne Eisler. You're listening to The Dr. Pat Show. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. The world's first healthy coffee has arrived. A rich blend of nutrition and pleasant aroma come together with a gourmet taste. Get energized, remove toxins, and build up your immune system with the miraculous king of herbs, Ganoderma lucinum. Organically grown without any pesticides, chemicals, or preservatives. Here's what people are saying. I all of a sudden noticed that my belt buckle was definitely looser, and then, uh, bam, it just all of a sudden happened, and uh, I dropped about 15 pounds in about eight weeks. My body is functioning better. I'm more energetic. I'm able to do things physically that I haven't been able to do before. It's just wonderful. Don't take our word for it. Check out the internet to discover thousands of positive page references to the health benefits of Ganoderma lucidum, also known as reishi mushroom. Call now to receive your free sample. 877-514-2233 or visit gotgano.org. The world's first healthy coffee, health and wellness in every cup. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, 
to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACEs, Authenticity, Choices, Empowerment, and Success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. information, call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. Dr. Pat Basile. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to the program, here's Dr. Pat Basile. Welcome back, everyone, and I hope you are on the edge of your seat with this interview today because I am thrilled to have Dr. Rianne Eisler with me today on this show. Uh, most of you are familiar with her work. I, well, that's not true. She's a best-selling author of The Chalice and the Blade, and you know her groundbreaking work on partnership is, is what I think is near and dear to everyone's heart. And so she is here today with us. We're talking about many things, including partnership, including issues of war and terrorism, and Dr. Eisner, violence in our country. Now, I, I put a question out there before the break, you know, in saying that for, for the longest time, I thought the opposite of patriarchy was matriarchy, so forth and so on. But that's not your perspective, and I'd love to share your perspective. I wish you would talk to people about what you've discovered. If you really think about it, that perspective... Uh, I mean, basically, matriarchy and patriarchy are just two sides of the same coin, aren't they? <laughs> what I call a domination society. Yes, that's true. So they're not the opposite. Uh, but in the properly socialized dominator mind, and this is really one of the great issues that we have to address, there are only two alternatives. You either dominate or you're dominated. You're either on top or you're on bottom. So naturally, what do you get? You get war. You get the war of the sexes. They're built into the domination model. The real alternative uh, to the domination way of living and loving, if you want to call it loving, uh-huh. uh, is what I call the partnership model. And I should say I really searched because domination was easy, you know. I mean, we all recognize that one. It's easy to pick up, isn't it? Yeah. I searched for a way of describing uh, relations based on mutual benefit, mutual respect, mutual caring, mutual accountability. Uh, And there wasn't one. We just don't have it. Uh, Democracy doesn't work because it's been so watered down and perverted, really, uh, even as a concept. So I chose partnership, and when I chose it, nobody was talking about partnership in terms of strategic alliances. 
Now I'm afraid a lot of people think of it that way. So I really want to clarify, uh, this is not just about strategic alliances. It's certainly not just about working together. People work together in the domination model all the time. The 9-11 terrorists cooperated, invading armies cooperate, monopolies, all these characteristics of the domination model. There's cooperation, right? Right. So, and, and certainly it's not that it's a completely flat way of structuring uh, an organization, you know, be it a family, be it a school, be it a, a business, or be it a country. You need hierarchies. But there's a difference between what I call hierarchies of domination and hierarchies of actualization. And just to uh, really uh, give one uh, of the differences is in a hierarchy of domination, accountability, respect, uh, benefit really flow primarily from the bottom up, don't they? Yes, they do. I mean, look at an Enron, look at a dictatorship, look at uh, a, an authoritarian family, a dominator family. Uh, you, we, call, we tell kids to respect, but it's really fear, isn't it? Yes, it is. Whereas in the hierarchy of actualization, you still have leaders, you still have parents, you still have teachers, you still have managers, but it's a different definition of power, and that's really why I chose the title for one of my books of The Chalice and the Blade. Uh, we all know the power of the blade, the power to dominate, to destroy, right? Yes, and it's a very vivid image. I mean, you, you absolutely, you know, when you say the word the blade, you get it. I think when you talk about the chalice, I, I'm not sure that people know exactly what the meaning or the symbolism is behind that. Well, since, uh, you know, ancient times, the chalice has really been, it's the holy grail. It's the font of life. It's yes. really the womb. Yes. Uh, the, the womb of the mother. Uh, it is the, well, what is it? I mean, it's the power to give life, to nurture life, and yes, to illuminate life mm. where the spiritual dimension comes in. Mm. Well, you know, let me ask you this, because you're talking about creating sort of this, we're talking about respect and what respect is, and I'd like to go back to something you said about this notion of being mutuality and the law of reciprocity, because you're right. Some people, when they talk about partnership, it's like, I'll do for you and do you do for me. But the question then is, to what end? Always the question is, to what end? Right. And, of course, you know, the good news is that we're beginning to see, really, a growing understanding. It, 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 you know, we hear a lot about a revolution in consciousness, right? Yes, we do. And really what it amounts to, when you get right down to the basics, is the consciousness that dominating and being dominated, uh, controlling and controlling, serving or being served, uh, those aren't the only alternatives, that we can structure our world, our beliefs, our institutions to support relations uh, that benefit uh, everyone. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to be the same. It doesn't even mean that everybody's going to have the same. But where basic human needs are met, and also, and by basic human needs, I don't just mean uh, the the need, uh, well, you know, for food, for shelter, right. but the need for caring connection, mm-hmm. which is so huge in humans. It is huge. I, I have a saying that I think if we were meant to not be connected, if we were meant to kind of be like all by ourselves, then I think I think the universe would have given each of us our own planet. 
and and then that would clearly separate us. Um, you know, let me ask you you this question. There was a seminar that I went to very recently, and there was a conversation around contrasts, light versus dark, good versus evil, uh, so forth and so on. And the statement was made that uh, there there can never be peace because always, always present is the contrast of war. And I wanted to get your um, your perspective on that. Well, that's a dominator perspective, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, look, I um, think that um, so much of the conversation really is still caught in old categories, you know, right versus left, religious versus secular, north versus south, east versus west, capitalist versus communist. But the real question is, what kind of culture do we create? Is it a culture that supports uh, you know, partnership relations or dominator relations, whether it's in families or whether it's, as I said, in the family of nations. So we're not going to ever have a perfect world. You know, people sometimes lose it. They get violent. You know, I mean, things happen. Yeah. But we have inherited a system where abuse and violence are really built into our normative beliefs and into so many of our institutions, all the way from child-rearing, you know, this a push to, I mean, there are these books and seminars now on raising your child God's way, and God is presented as this horrible, punitive, sadistic, uh, you know, I mean, put your little kid in a high chair, and that kid may not even move at the age of, you know, of 18 months. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you do that by terrorizing a child? Mm-hmm. In what submission, and that's needed, by the way, mm. for people to then identify with the quote strong leader to even vote for the strong leader. So that's why the politics I talk about pay so much attention to intimate relations. Well, you know, I made a statement the other day, and uh, uh, I was literally <laughs> attacked for it. Uh, and I thought about it afterwards, and I think the statement that I made, of course, you know, having worked with organizations for a very long time and topics on leadership, is that generally in an organization, a leader sets the tone. And I said that that's no different outside of the organization when you take it to a more global level. And the conversation had to do with the rise in violence. As a matter of fact, there was a special on, I think it was one of the shows, Oprah or something, about, you know, violence and gang wars and, and, and just people shooting each other. And so the question then comes up around the tone that we set through the act of war and how it infiltrates and embeds itself down in the infrastructure of a society. And I'd like to talk about that after our break. I'd like to hold that thought and have that conversation to talk about what happens when a leader of an organization or or a, a country sets the tone, whether or not individuals that are, are live in communities can really discern from what that act really means. I'm Dr. Pat. I'm here with Dr. Rianne Eisler, and we're talking about many, many things. Again, uh, I'd like to introduce you to one of her websites, which is www.partnershipway.org. That's partnershipway.org. And we'd love to have your questions that we will absolutely forward. You could send them to live at the drpatshow.com. We will be right back. Stay tuned and more. 
more from Dr. Rianne Eisler. Connecting your world. The Internet's number one talk and information station. VoiceAmerica.com Introducing a powerful, trend-setting beverage, the world's first healthy coffee. This coffee is healthy because it delivers Ganoderma Lucidum, the king of herbs. Gano Coffee. Pre-measured, pre-packaged to deliver a perfect cup of coffee every time. You just add water, stir, and enjoy. It's fast and convenient. Your friends and family will love it, too. Available as black, mocha, or with cream and sugar. Our coffee sells for a mere 45 cents to 90 cents per packet. Who's responsible for your future health and wealth? Try Ganoderma Lucidum. People will spend their health to get their wealth. Then they will have to spend their wealth to regain their health. Don't let this happen to you. Go to GotGano.org. That's GotGano.org. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Health Masters with your host, Louis Moss. Each week, Louis will bring you the latest health and lifestyle breakthroughs, as well as bring you the Health Masters Spotlight of the Week. So get healthy with Louis Moss and Health Masters every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We all have them, traits in us that make us special, unique, characteristics that drive us. Some drive in third, some are in overdrive, some are in neutral, and others are in reverse. What makes us tick? Why do we do the things we do? Do we change the way we behave? Can we? How? Yes, yes you can. First, we have to embrace who you are and then enhance that in which we see. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACEs, Authenticity, Choices, Empowerment, and Success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success if you want to smooth shift into the right gear call us toll free 1-866-461-6463 that's 1-866-461-6463 hello i'm gary zukov and i'm linda francis and we recommend you to dr pat Vasily's show been on it several times, and it's one of the most supportive shows that I've been on. Yes, Pat is so energetic and so in alignment with what we're doing. I want to invite you to come to our website, www.zukov.com, Z-U-K-A-V. For a special program that we have created called Hurricane Katrina, the 12 learning opportunities. They are opportunities to learn about yourself. The reason for learning about yourself is so that if you choose, you can change yourself. Come to our website, www.zukov.com, Z-U-K-A-V. Look forward to seeing you there. Business. Sport. Religion. Legal. Pets. Entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to the program, here's Dr. Pat Basile. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Rianne Eisler. 
And I want to say that uh, the book, The Chalice and the Blade, Our History, Our Future, um, is a phenomenal book, and I, I believe that you're going to be hearing more about it in the very near future again, and we will talk with Dr. Eisler about that. Um, for those of you that are just tuning in, I want you to know that we are here every Tuesday, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., right here on Voice America. You have unlimited access to this show, as you do with all of our shows, 24-7. Dr. Eisler, thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm delighted to talk with you, Pat. Let's make sure that folks have some information on how they can connect with you and with the work. Maybe it would be a good idea if we could just give out the websites that people can get to. The organization uh, that uh, does research and, uh, well, education that offers resources uh, on the partnership model and how we can move there is the Center for Partnership Studies. And the website is partnershipway, one word, partnershipway.org. One of our uh, initiatives is the Spiritual Alliance to Stop Intimate Violence. Uh, which I co-founded, and it's a very important initiative because, of course, if kids grow up in families where they either witness violence Mm. or are, you know, suffer from violence, they get a message, don't they, that it's okay to use violence to impose your will on others. Mm-hmm. Not to speak of all the suffering that that violence uh, causes and all the lost human potential. Uh, and the website was a separate website for SAVE. It's uh, S as in Sally, S-A-I-V dot net, N-E-T. Okay, okay that's S-A-I-V as in Victor dot net. So then, you know, so doesn't that sort of follow up, uh, you know, with the question or, or the comment that I made before the break? about setting the tone, about sending messages, about modeling certain behavior. I mean, what is the effect of leadership that enters into war and, uh, and, and, and how does, you know, one's view of the validity of that war affect behavior? Well, you're talking about symbolic acts. Uh, yes. A part of a leader, uh, whether it's uh, in a family or whether it's uh, in a nation, I don't quite uh, agree with the, you know, with this position that violence is increasing um, in the world. Uh, certainly, it's beginning to uh, affect us in the United States more. You know, terrorism, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly we have much larger populations. And another thing that's happened, of course, is uh, that we're also seeing, you know, not so much the the combat between armies, but you know, the suffering of civilians. But that last thing, we've seen that all through dominator history. On the contrary, I mean, if you look at uh, European history, uh, it's one war after another. Mm. I mean, there were just tiny little intervals between wars. And indeed, in the domination model, peace can only be an interval between wars because it's all about, you know, dominating or being dominated. Uh, the good news, I mean, look at the European Union today. Yeah. I mean, these were nations that not so long ago yeah. uh, were constantly at war. And, and, and really, uh, before the, um, uh, well, I was going to say before the 18th century, I mean, the wars were just constant, absolutely constant. I know. I know. So, but 
uh, I mean, the good news is that people are becoming more conscious of the violence and are saying, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be that way. That, I think, is part of the changing consciousness as we move towards partnership as another possibility. And as I said, not completely violence-free, but certainly violence doesn't have to be built into it, whether it's in families or in international, you know, whether it's intimate relations or international relations. Mm. But but the point that you make about the symbolic act, about the modeling, is huge and one of the uh, really most frightening uh, things about the current regression to the domination model is this incredible escalation, not only on the part of leaders of the use of violence, but on the media. Mm. And the video games for kids, for boys in particular, I mean, these are the games that uh, were used uh, when the army discovered that a lot of uh, the service uh, men weren't firing, you know, so... So it's the same video games that they use to train them to actually kill are the ones that are now uh, circulated among young boys. And and doing very well in the market, and doing I, I might very say. Well in the market. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, Pat, we're talking about a confluence. I mean, systems are never one thing. It's a confluence of a lot of factors. And family violence is important to stop. It's essential intimate violence. And it's mostly violence against women and children. In fact, according to the United Nations, the most ubiquitous human rights violation in the world is violence against women and children, intimate violence. Let me ask you a question about that, because when we talk about violence, uh, Dr. Eisler, a lot of folks will automatically go to, I raise my fist and I hit you. But I want to talk a little bit about something that I believe is equally as damaging, and that is, you know, the power of the word and how communication, uh, you, you know, degrading conversation, belittling people, for me, those are acts of violence as well, but perhaps not in the way that we're talking about them. Well, there are certainly acts that perpetuate uh, dominator relationships because what what you have to have in order to fit into a system of rankings of domination, you have to suppress empathy and caring, don't you? Right. So these words, and I've noticed, uh, even in telephone answering messages, you know, people routinely used to say please and thank you, and now it's leave a message. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's leave a message and please don't chew up my minutes. <laughs> yeah, and so it's sort of a lack of common courtesy, uh, which really indicates it's part of the regression to harsher relationships. And, and it's so sad because we humans so need caring connection. It doesn't have to be a lifelong relationship, but just to have there to be a positive connection in any encounter makes life so much better and is so much less stressful for people. And stress, of course, is part of the way that the domination system maintains itself, and that's another whole subject. That is, and that, that's a very important subject. But I want to flip to the other side for a minute because I remember, I recall reading something that you, you, you've said, and you talk about uh, the reaffirmation and the celebration of um, uh, transformative mysteries, and those mysteries are the mysteries that symbolize the chalice. And then you, 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 I think you say that new myths will reawaken us. So the question is, 
are we seeing some of those today? Um, this really are to a very large extent um, how we see the world mm-hmm. and how we behave. So stories, we live by stories. Yes. So they're very, very important. We're seeing some, and, and, and many of them are really real-life stories, uh, the stories of people who care, the stories of organizations that care. Uh, but unfortunately, we still don't have, you know, it started to take hold before this regression to the domination model really <laughs> set in. Uh, you know, in the 60s and in the 70s, and even during the 80s, there was a lot of resurgence of the so-called uh, feminine spirituality, of stories not about punitive deities, but about hearing deities, uh, about seeing the divine as both mother and father, uh, about uh, basically uh, really giving us stories uh, that are not about dominating and about destroying. Because so much of, uh, the unfortunately, the sacred literature is about punitive deities, about deities that fight. And it isn't just Western. It isn't just, you know, Yahweh. It's the Mahabharata. You know, these deities yeah. are, are killing each other. Uh, it, 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 it really permeates a lot of the mythology. So I have to say that we were really much more on the way, uh, when I wrote The Chalice and the Blade, I think one of its great appeals was that it did, uh, there, there was another myth in it, another mythos. I mean, myth now in the sense of a story that's accepted as normative, as truthful. Exactly. As right. A sacred truth. And for many people, uh, the book still represents that. But except for an occasional Da Vinci Code, which sort of sneaks some of this in, um, it, it, it's really not uh, been as powerful this forward movement as I as, as we need. Well, in talking about the Da Vinci Code, I know that uh, you know the Chalice and the Blade is considered a uh, a center point for the Da Vinci Code. Is, has that been your feedback? Well, certainly he keeps talking about the Chalice <laughs> and the Blade, and he he does mention you know that one of his primary sources was the Chalice and the Blade. That's right. Uh, of course, that story, uh, while it certainly talks about earlier traditions uh, in earlier societies that oriented more to the partnership model, uh, where uh, well, the world was imaged as a great mother from whose womb all of life ensues to whose womb all of life returns at death once again through sex to be reborn. Mm-hmm. Much more uh, nature-grounded mythos. And he does talk about that, but of course the main theme of that is the story of Mary Magdalene. Yes. And then it gets really weird at the end. I, don't, I mean, that, 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 it, I thought it was a fascinating book until the end, and then it just completely fell apart. Uh, in terms of anything making sense. But again, the story of Mary Magdalene, we have the Gnostic Gospels, which I, I write about in, in, you know, in my books, in Sacred Pleasure uh, in particular, uh, which tell us that, that, yes, these Gospels were written at about the same time as the official Gospels, in fact, perhaps even a little earlier, and they make it very clear that Mary Magdalene was indeed a major leader in the so-called primitive uh, Christianity in the early church, and that, yes, that she was supposed to have been 
Jesus' favorite disciple. And even the Gospels, the official ones, uh, hint at that because she's the one who goes uh, and is supposed to have seen the risen uh, Christ first. Yes. So yes. there is a tremendous appeal to these stories. That's, I think, why that story, The Da Vinci Code, has so much appeal. But it has to be very careful these days to be disguised as just fiction and fantasy. Very careful, as we know. Well, let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, I will be talking to Dr. Rianne Eisler about the question that she was asked in One the Movie, and we're going to have a further conversation about that. Stay tuned, everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. This is the Dr. Pat Show. We'll be right back. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Mystery School 2006 Preview Weekend, The Mystery of Making a Difference, November 11th through the 13th in Palm Springs, California. Making a difference has never been more critical in a world in which so much can go right or disastrously wrong. We are the ones who have the most profound task in human history, the task of deciding whether we grow or die. We have an opportunity to play a role in the greatest transition drama the world has ever seen. In order to do this, we must be able to Excess depths of body, mind, and spirit that we may have forgotten we had. In the special preview mystery school, we will help you discover that you are much richer, deeper, and stronger than you know. We will explore ways to help restore the lost but much needed part of ourselves and allow for expansion and growth. Learn to become part of a deep ecology of life and vibrant awakening. For more information, log on to our website, jeanhouston.org, or contact Bridget at 541-488-1200 or Bridget the Brit at AOL.com. Hey everybody, this is Garrett Mercadante with the world's first healthy coffee. Just wanted you all to know that we're offering a free sample. So go to gotgano.org. That's gotgano.org. Hope to see you there. Introducing a powerful, trend-setting beverage, the world's first healthy coffee. This coffee is healthy because it delivers Ganoderma Lucidum, the king of herbs. Gano Coffee, pre-measured, pre-packaged to deliver a perfect cup of coffee every time. You just add water, stir, and enjoy. It's fast and convenient. Your friends and family will love it, too. Available as black, mocha, or whipped cream and sugar. Our coffee sells for a mere 45 cents to 90 cents per packet. Who's responsible for your future health and wealth? Try Ganoderma Lucidum. People will spend their health to get their wealth. Then they will have to spend their wealth to regain their health. Don't let this happen to you. Go to GotGano.org. That's GotGano.org. Business. Sport. Religion. Legal. Pets. Entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. If you have a question or a comment, call us toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to the program, here's Dr. Pat Basile. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Rianne Eisler. You know, we've talked about a lot of things today, Dr. Eisler, and we're talking about uh, a lot of the, the things that are going on in the world that are troublesome. But I know that you have... Um, and in the work that you do, you really look at the action that we can take to make this this world 
better. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that. I think that that's the challenge for us, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, we can't just sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. I mean, we're it. So uh, many of my books now, uh, The Power of Partnership, also my book Tomorrow's Children, which is about partnership education, are about, well, what do we need to change? Mm-hmm. Uh, and my focus has been, let me just say this, none of us can do everything, but we all can do something. And my focus has really been on what are the intervention points where there's a cascade of systemic effects. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do everything, but we're so fragmented. You know, it's Save the Whales and it's anti-war and it's, uh, you see what I'm saying? Yes. And, yes. and I've, I've identified in my work really four cornerstones that we have to build so we have the foundations for a partnership world. Uh, one of them has to do with childhood relations. We know from uh, neuroscience today that, of course, we know that the brain is not fully formed when we're born and that our genetic equipment develops and takes form. In other words, the whole architecture of the brain is formed through our interactions with, in relationship and that our culture uh, beginning in the family, but, you know, into our peer groups, into everything, uh, profoundly affects whether we can realize our tremendous human potential for empathy, for caring, for creativity, or whether uh, people are so stressed, because it's very stressful in a dominator environment, uh, that they're constantly going into fight or flight or dissociation. And that's, you know, I try to sort of shortcut <laughs> the explanation of it. So we really have to, uh, the Nordic nations, uh, Finland, Sweden, uh, uh, Norway, they are yes. much closer to the mm-hmm. partnership model. And one of the things that they have is that they teach in their schools, starting quite early, family le- relations, uh, respectful relations. They teach parenting, nonviolent authoritative but not authoritarian parenting. Uh, if we don't lay those foundations, we, the, the system keeps replicating these patterns, and, and it replicates them, unfortunately, in nothing less than, than the brain. So that's pretty serious stuff. Now, we can change, and that's the good news. That's my question. That's my question. We can, we can change, change, can't we? And we can change, and we do change, and our actions, our choices, actually change our brain. And when we choose to be caring, and experiments have been done on that, the pleasure centers of the brain light up. And so it's a question of really creating the conditions that give us those choices. And gender certainly is another very important uh, leverage point for a better world. I mean, if kids grow up where there is a model of, of, of one kind of person, a woman serving, and another kind of person being served, one dominating and the other one being dominated, you know, they can generalize that to a different race, a different religion. You see how that works. Yes, absolutely. Uh, another one is, of course, economics. We need to give visibility and value to the work of caring and caregiving if we're really serious about more caring policies. Yes, but at the same time, we, you know, we, we, we just look at different places in the budget being cut and, and one would sort of equate that to uh, a movement away from a caring model. Absolutely, and that's part of the regression. If you look at the Nordic nations, 
uh, not only is the status of women much higher, but as the status of women is higher, men no longer find it so threatening to their identity, to their, quote, masculinity, to embrace feminine, feminine values, stereotypically feminine values and behaviors. So you have very caring policies. We have universal child care, universal health care, paid parental leave, very generous paid parental leave. So you see how this works. I mean, you can have those policies, but you have to change the cultural foundations at the same time. And, of course, the fourth uh, tremendously important intervention is stories and myths, and we've already talked a little about that. But change is really a, a combination of consciousness and action, isn't it? Yes, it is. As we become more conscious that there is a partnership alternative, we change our relationship to ourselves. We're no longer so critical and so harsh to ourselves. We can work on changing our intimate relations. We can then change our work relations. And a lot of good things are happening. I mean, the fact that we have now so much happening in very highly successful organizations to care for people, such as paid parental leave, such as it's still a minority, but it's a trend, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's equally important that we speak up and have a voice. Well, and this is why the, uh, the power of partnership takes us through the whole gamut of relations, including our national relations, our international relations, our relations with Mother Earth, and, yes, our spiritual relations. Because in the domination model, spirituality tends to be very largely either supporting, you know, punitive, you know, God-fearing, uh, you know, obey the orders, right, strictly. Right. Or it's escape, mm-hmm. you know, escape into, uh, and I'm afraid the New Age movement has not helped too much with that. Okay, in what way? Well, because so much of it goes into this whole notion rather than focusing on what we should do to change our cultural environment, our world, it strictly focuses on how we can develop ourselves. And I'm not saying that's not important, mm-hmm. but I think that it's like trying to fly with one wing. And we need to get the other wing going We've got in it. order to have a great takeoff and landing. <laughs> well, that's it. Otherwise, it's just playing in the New Age sandbox. Well, I think that, you know, what you're talking about is a powerful message for everyone listening to this show because, you know, we're talking about choice and we're talking about action. And we are, every one of us is in a position to really call both of those into effect. And working together, and this is really very important. That is important. particular aspect. And focusing on these interventions like a caring family agenda, uh, like seeing... I mean, it's not coincidental that the most despotic regimes are those where women are the most suppressed. Mm-hmm. Got to mm-hmm. change it. And the most violent, too. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. Before we end, I'm going to ask you one last question because I, I, I told the listeners I would do this. But thank you so much for all of that, the work that you're doing, all that you do and all that you are. And we'll make sure that we continue to give out your website. In One the Movie... The answer to the question, when is war justifiable, uh, you had an answer. It was very short. I said I, that it's justifiable when it's in self-defense. And by that, I really mean self-defense because we've learned to think of defense as kind of a euphemism for a war department. But uh, as, a, as a Holocaust survivor, I mean, I have to say that under certain circumstances, you have to defend yourself or you die. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for listening. And, you know, the website, www.partnershipway.org. And uh, you have another website, or can folks find pretty much everything here? They can find the Spiritual Alliance to Stop Intimate Violence on partnershipway.org, too. And I'd love to have you back and talk about Spiritual Alliance. And, and thank you so much for all the great work that you continue to do. It's my pleasure to be with you. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Dr. Pat Show, radio to thrive by. To contact Dr. Pat, visit thedrpatshow.com. Tune in next Tuesday for another dynamic hour of The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. 